nations that worship their own God, they get over here, and uh, I think it. I think it'd be better, you know, if you're going to come here, that you believe what we believe and worship the God that we worship. Uh, but it's not that way, and it's led to uh, multiple problems. Is what it's led to. Uh, three names uh, are given, or three meanings for the name of Sardis. Uh, one of them is the Prince of Joy. Prince of Joy might have been because of all the uh, different things that they had to do there and all like that. And uh, the other one is it means that which remains. And of course, in the in the letter here, uh, he talks about uh, talks about there's a few there uh, that have been steadfast and all like that. And uh, the third name, probably the probably the the one that describes it best. Is it means escaping, escaping. In other words, uh, it's like like uh, Florida, a lot of places like that, uh, places where people escape to. That's where they want to go, uh, you know, when they get away. So this city was desirable, especially to people that didn't want to serve worship God because of all the sin and all the things that there was to do uh, in that city. And uh, Sardis, of course, is the name of a stone, is what it's the name of, a Sardis stone. You can look it up on your phone. It's a beautiful little stone, and it's got a lot of colors in it. It's kind of reddish-white. Uh, it's got a pinkish color to it, kind of an orange cast, and uh, it is a, a beautiful stone. And uh, they were they were mined there in that region. That was one of the things that uh, made it so popular. And, uh, and it goes a long ways back. Uh, almost every, every, a lot of religions, don't matter what they are, uh, a lot of religions, they all have some things in common, just about all of them. And about all religions have uh, what to call a mother, uh, a mother god, if you will. And she has a son. About all religions are that way. You study them out, you'll, you'll find that out. Well, the reason being is because true religion uh, has, uh, has God, and we have Mary, the mother of Jesus, so we have a mother and a son. And even some in Christianity try to make a God out of Mary. Uh, but Mary's not the God. God the Father is the God. And uh, Jesus Christ is a son. Uh, and the reason all these other religions have somewhat of the same setup is because Satan always imitates whatever's true, whatever's God, Satan always has an imitation. When the Antichrist comes, uh, he's going to come and in many ways he's going to imitate Jesus Christ. And in Revelation 6 and 1, when we get over there, you don't have to turn there, but when we get there, we see this uh, rider coming on a white horse, and uh, he has a bow, but he doesn't have no arrows, and uh, so it, it pictures him coming as a prince of peace, of one that's going to bring peace, which is the way the Antichrist comes. When Jesus Christ came, they sung at his birth and said, Peace on earth, goodwill to men. And so in this city of Sardis, at one time, they worshipped, they worshipped a female deity or a female god called Sybil. 
And she was worshipped as the mother of all gods. Uh, the mother of all gods. And uh, they use this, uh, this little stone. They use, uh, they use that in different shrines and different things that, uh, that they use to worship. Uh, they use that. I, I told you last week uh, about seeing uh, down south somewhere where the, the, these people were arrested in this church because uh, two women and, a, and a, a man acting as a priest or whatever uh, were having a, a sexual act on the altar and the doors were large enough people could walk by and see it. Well, that happened a lot back in the early days of uh, Christianity and uh, like the uh, Temple of Dinah that you read about in the Bible in the New Testament. They had what they called temple prostitutes. And that goes all the way back. Uh, you can go all the way back in the Old Testament and, uh, and find a lot of that. Uh, there's a book called Hyssop's Two Babylons. And uh, I don't know if anybody's ever read it or seen it, but it goes all the way back into these uh, religions, even back in the Old Testament, uh, that has a female deity that they worship. Jeremiah talks about that a lot in his book. But uh, during this time, uh, during this time, there was a, a beautiful temple that was there, and it was devoted to Artemidius. And it, it was a replacement, uh, if you will, it was a replacement uh, for the for the temple of Sebel uh, that they worshipped as the mother of all gods. And so uh, all of that is in the background of this, this place called Sardis. Now the Lord said unto the angel of the church in Sardis, write these things. Thank God that I guess about everywhere in the world that even though there's a lot of uh, false religion, a lot of, uh, a lot of these big shrines and temples and all of that, uh, thank God just about everywhere there's a little group of believers that have the truth and it seems like God's always got a little remnant around somewhere. And even here in Sardis, he said, thou hast a few names, uh, just a few, but said you got a few names there that uh, walk right and, and uh, do right. Uh, but the Lord said here that these things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God uh, you can look them up in Isaiah 11, what those seven spirits are. It's just saying the fullness, uh, the fullness of the Spirit of God. Uh, all of us have the Spirit of God, but we have it as a measure, uh, so to speak. Christ had, had the fullness of God. Uh, none of us, if you go over at Isaiah 11, none of us will have all those seven things that's mentioned there, those seven spirits, which just simply means the fullness of the Spirit. Uh, none of us will have all of them, but Christ had all of those. Uh, so he says, uh, He that hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, I know thy works, that thou hast a name that thou livest and art dead. Okay? Uh, he says here that they have a name that lives, but he says they're dead. Uh, so uh, their name uh, sounded uh, like something that lives, life, uh, being alive, vibrant, uh, sound like something that was real, but he says that most of it was dead. He said, you got a name that sounds like it lives, but it's dead. 
I know as I go to Brother Broughton's and go through Nancy, Kentucky, man, my wife went through there when I preached up there back a couple months ago on Sunday, and uh, there's a church there, Sardis Baptist Church, and I think I asked her, I said, I don't know why anybody would name a church Sardis, because the Bible said they had a name that they lived, but they're dead. But they may have been thinking about they may have been thinking about the few that was there that was faithful. And uh, that may be why they uh, named the church Sardis. Uh, but this place was, it looked alive. But they was, they was real good at making things that were dead look alive. And in our time that we're now living, there's probably never been a time that people are better than make, at making things that are dead look alive. You go into some of these places and they got uh, bands and, and uh, lights and uh, they got uh, bands and lights and smoke screens and everybody's a dancing and a swaying. And when you walked in there, you'd think, man, this place got the life about it. But when God looked down upon it, He'd say it's dead. It's dead. Uh, you see, it's all artificial. It's all trying to make something that is dead look alive. Now, it could be dead for two reasons. One, it could be dead because the church has got so backslidden that they've grieved the Holy Spirit off the church. Or, it could be that they don't even have the Holy Spirit and are trying to act like they do. It's a real good study in the Bible when you go over, I think it's Galatians, he talks about another spirit and another Jesus. Now you need to get that. Not every spirit is the Spirit of God. And not every Jesus is the Jesus in the Bible. Uh, you need to get that. Uh, people are so gullible in our kind of a day that if they see something with a steeple on it and, uh, and they see something whether they're talking about Jesus or singing to Jesus or, or seemingly worshiping Jesus, uh, you need to remember that not, not every Jesus is the same Jesus. And not every spirit is the same spirit. And I've not been around a lot of those places, but I have been in a few. And the very first thing I noticed, and I wasn't trying to be critical at all, the very first thing I noticed was there's a different spirit in that place. I mean, I've been places where they don't do things like we do it, but I still felt the Spirit of God. But I've been in a few places where that immediately it was like it was like black and white. It was a different spirit altogether. Uh, and there's a lot of that uh, in the world today more than ever. But in our time, you know, uh, we major uh, we major on that. You got uh, you take Steve Prut there; he can take an old dead animal and make it look like it's alive. Uh, you take uh, you take uh, Amanda and Caleb back there, and Jeff Sneed; they can take some old plastic flyers and make them look like they're alive. You just almost lean over and smell of them; they look surreal. And uh, I seen the other day they was advertising a little dog trying to get people to buy it. And I thought it was real. And I thought, wonder how much them pups are. It wasn't even real. Uh, 
It was just fake. Uh, and so we're, uh, the devil majors in that kind of a thing. Uh, and, uh, you know, you go to a funeral home and somebody says they look like they ought to talk. Amen. Uh, a lot of times people say, man, they look good. They, they look better than they did before they died. Most people do. Uh, I don't know how many people I've had to tell me at the casket, they'd say, they'd say, uh, don't they look good? And I said, yeah, but they'll look better the next time you see them. Amen. Amen. Uh, no matter how good the, the mortician makes them look, if they're saved, they're going to look better the next time you see them. Amen. Uh, uh, fishing lures. Uh, they had this, I seen this one, and I, they suckered me in. I bought it. I said, how you like it? I never did get it. They got my money, but I never did get it. And uh, but this thing uh, had a battery in it. You plugged it in the wall, let it charge up, and then you put it on the uh, you put it on your line, and on a floater, brother Eddie, and that thing just swims around like a live minnow or something. At least the one they had in the picture did. Uh, but I never did get mine. But you know why them fish bite that stuff? Because it looks real. It looks real. You know why people take Satan's bait and they bite it because it looks real. It's not only a fish or a deer or an animal that gets fooled. People get fooled because something looks real. And that's what he's saying here. He says this place has a name that lives and they're dead. And he said, but be watchful and strengthen things which remain that are ready to die for I have not found thy works perfect uh, before God. So Sardis was told to be watchful as all churches and Christians are told to be watchful in 1 Peter 5 and 8. Uh, he tells us to be sober, be vigilant, be watchful because our adversary the devil stalks around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. I believe this. I pray about it every day. But I believe this is one of the most dangerous times for churches since I've been in the ministry. The reason I say that is, is because everybody is somewhat nervous. Uh, everybody's stressed out. Uh, everybody's just wore out because their whole world's been up, turned upside down and we've made to have to deal with it whether we like it or not. It's not business as usual. Uh, we can't do like we used to do. And all of that plays on our minds and spirits more than we ever realize. And so when we come to church, that makes us super stressful. And it makes it very easy for the devil to find a place to get in. And that's why it's very important, uh, even folks that haven't even come back to church yet, it's very important not to be critical of them. Uh, I have not urged anybody to come back. I've told them all pretty much the same thing. I said, well, you come back when you feel like you need to come back. Why do I tell them that? Because if they come back and get sick, they're going to say that preacher told me to come back. And, uh, and then again, I don't know all of their things going on in their life. 
There may be a whole lot more to it than just jumping in the car and riding down to church and walking in. There may be family issues involved. There may be uh, physical things involved that you and I don't know anything about. Uh, so the best thing to do is just, just pray for folks and pray for one another. It's the best thing to do and be kind to one another. Try to be understanding to one another. Try to keep our mouth shut when we want to speak sometimes to hold our peace. And do the best we can to pray every day that we will not give place to the devil. Now I'm going to say, and I'm guessing because I have no way of knowing, but I'm going to say 95%. Of our people's been back at least once. That's pretty good. Uh, that's pretty good. From uh, a lot of pastors I talked to, they 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 have if, if they had sixty, maybe they got ten now or fifteen. Some of us never even got to open back up yet because they got all a older congregation and they're afraid to come back. Uh, so all that's real, and so the devil uses all of this to try to uh, try to make. Uh, you and me open the door and give him a place to get into our church. And, uh, and right now is the, the, the least time that any church needs a devil in it. But I believe it's the most opportune time for him to get in a church that I've ever seen in 39 years of pastoring. Uh, preachers are stressed out. Preachers are wore out. Sunday school teachers are stressed out. Members are stressed out. And it's just a really, really stressful time. So it's something to watch for. Sardis was known for loose living, pleasure, and luxury. And Sardis uh, was, not a, was not threatened by Caesar like other places. The reason being, Sardis was no threat to him. And uh, the devil don't usually bother places that are not bothering him. Uh, he will, I mean, he bothers everybody, but uh, if a church here is really on fire for the Lord, he's going to be attacking them a lot more than he will a church down here that's not really much of a threat to him. Sardis was kind of that way. Uh, Sardis was kind of a just a peaceful place. You know, you get by with anything and nobody's going to say much and it's just a peaceful place and, and uh, you know, they just seem to be at peace. Well, you know something that's really at peace as much as anything that I know of? A corpse. When you walk up there, people say, well, they're at peace. They're at peace now. Well, Sardis is a peaceful place, but it's a corpse. It's dead. It's dead. If you're not doing anything, you're not going to have much problem. And if a church is not doing anything, they're not going to have more, no problem. But if you're trying to do all kinds of ministries, if you're not doing nothing, you've pretty much got zero chance of a problem. But if you've got 15 ministries going on, you've got 15 ways Satan can get in church. Uh, so the more you do, the more... Trouble you're probably going to have. Uh, that's just the way it is. So, uh, you know what you do right right before something dies? You know what you do? You do everything you can to make it comfortable. Isn't that right? 
something's dying, you do everything you can to make it comfortable. So Sardis is dying, and everybody's just doing what they can to keep everything comfortable. That's what they're doing. Okay, Sardis was told to be watchful, as all churches and Christians must be. And the question we must ask ourselves is, how watchful are we? Do you watch for the adversary, the devil, every day? Do you watch for him when he tries to come in a conversation or on a phone or a text or some other way? Uh, do you watch for him? I put a, I, I did finally put a post on Facebook this week. It got quite a bit of response. And all I said was this COVID-19 is a lot like salvation. A lot of people say they got it, but they don't have no symptoms. And one, one preacher got upset. And he said, preacher, he said, he knows me. He said, Brother Rick, said, I just want you to know this COVID's real. This, and my, I've had it. My wife's had it. My kids have had it. I was, and before I could even answer him, uh, my good friend Rick Kesey come in to my defense. And Rick said, uh, there was, he didn't mean anything offensive. He was just saying some people have COVID and they don't have any symptoms. And some people say they have salvation, but they don't have any symptoms. Uh, they don't read the Bible, don't pray, don't go to church, they don't witness, don't tithe. They don't have any symptoms, but if you asked them, they'd say they had it. So he said, Brother Rick's not saying this thing's not real. You'd be an idiot to think it's not real. I'm sure it's upplayed a, a lot. No doubt about that. It's been used a lot. But it's real. Uh, you can't deny that fact. It's real. Uh, so I wasn't saying that. But anyway, uh, the Lord says uh, that they're ready to die. And, uh, and Sardis is pictured as a dying body where some things have already died. Uh, you see, before a body dies, parts of the body might die before other parts of the body die. A church can be like that. A, uh, a church can, can die in its prayer room. It can die in the pulpit. Uh, it can die in its attendance. It can die in a lot of ways before it actually dies. And uh, so the Lord here in verse 3 He's going to tell them what to do now. He's a great physician. A good doctor always examines you and gives you the diagnosis and then tells you what you got to do. And here's what he said. He said you need to, need to do four things. You need to remember. Well, first of all, you need to hear. And then you need to remember. Remember how good God's been. Remember how it used to be. And when you hear and you remember, then you need to repent. Lord, I've done wrong. I've sinned. And then once you've repented and you've heard and you've remembered and you get back right with God, then you need to hold fast on that. Don't get messed up again. Stay right with the Lord. You say, why? Because like He says here, therefore... If thou shalt not watch, I'll come on thee as a thief, and thou shalt know what hour I come upon thee. Jesus may come at any time, according to a lot of places in the Bible. So Sardis was, uh, was told what to do, and then the Lord has promised for him. 
I'm glad the Lord, when we do what He tells us to do, the Lord has promised for us. He said, Thou hast a few names, even in Sardis, which have not defiled our garments. They shall walk with me in white, uh, for they are worthy. So the Lord praises those few there that uh, has walked with Him and uh, kept their garments white. And uh, so the Lord, uh, uh, He has, uh, has a word for them there and a promise for them there. Verse 5, He said, He that overcometh the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot out His name out of the book of life, but I will confess His name before my Father and before the angels. Now we covered this verse back in some other previous verses. But this verse is sometimes misapplied and using to prove that one can lose their salvation after receiving it. And they read it as a threat. The way they read it is, uh, if you don't walk in white raiment, I will blot your name out. That's the way they read it. But that's not the way the Lord has said it. It's not a threat, it's a promise. And he says, uh, the promise says, He that overcometh. We went over this different times, but I'll do it again in uh, 1 John 5. 1 John 5 and verse 4. The Bible said, For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is a victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. To a Christian in the church age, the way we overcome in this world is to believe the gospel and be saved. That's how we overcome. And if we believe the gospel and we are saved, the Lord says, I, I'm not going to blot your name out. I'm not going to blot your name out. Now, we went over this last week. During the tribulation, in the tribulation, uh, things are different. We went to Matthew 24 last week, and we read that he that endureth to the end the same shall be saved. And we read a few verses further. We found he was talking about the end of the tribulation. Uh, we go over to Revelations 12. And we're told how they overcome uh, during the tribulation. He said, And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto the death. Not until their death. Not until they die. But until the death. The death is a particular type of death that people during the tribulation that won't take the mark of the beast, it's, it's the way they will die. And uh, it's in Revelations 20, verse 4. He said, I saw thrones, and they that sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were, what does it say? Beheaded. That's those people in Revelations 12. That's how they overcome. They loved not their life until the death. They endured until the end. End of what? Either the end of their life or the end of the tribulation. It's a different deal. You see, you don't understand that you're in the greatest age that there ever has been. And if people understood that, they'd shout the house down every time they went to the house of God. You say, why? Because in the church age, the age of grace, you can be saved by grace through faith plus nothing, minus nothing, 
just believing the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, repenting of your sin, you can be saved. And when you get saved in the church age, you can never lose that salvation. You can never lose it. We'll get into this more when we get, get on over into the, uh, that chapter a little bit more. But uh, let, me, let me say again here that uh, some people, some people uh, believe this verse is to prove that you can lose your salvation. Now, I have always believed this. Man, Bill was talking about it before service tonight, but I've always believed that the book of life contains all the names of everybody that's ever lived, that's ever been born. I think there's a book that has everybody's name in it. And if during their lifetime, when they reach the age of accountability, now if a child's two or three years old or a baby at birth or, or eight or nine and has not yet reached the age of accountability, uh, and they die, God will not blot their name out of that book. They're covered uh, under, under grace. They're covered like the uh, children of Israel when God said, I'm going to let your parents wander around the wilderness 40 years and I'm not going to let them go in. They're going to die. But your little ones, He said, I'm going to let them go in because they didn't know the difference between good and evil. It's, it's the same principle. Okay? But if you live your life on this earth and you're born and your name's John Doe and at birth God puts your name in there, John Doe, or, or names in there. At birth, I believe at birth, God puts it in there, John Doe. And God lets you live 70 years. And you, have, you, you come to the age of accountability at, at let's say 12 years old or 11 or 10. And you respond and you get saved. And you die, God leaves your name in that book because you got saved. But if you're like a lot of people that live 70 years and you got under conviction, you come to the age of accountability, you knew you needed to get saved, you knew Christ died for your sins, and you still reject the Lord and you die, I think. The Lord blots that name out. And when you go and stand before the Lord at the great white throne judgment, that's why they wrote that song, Please Search the Book Again. I know my name's there. Yeah, it used to be there, but you didn't get saved, so God blotted it out after you died. Now, let me go just a little bit further with that. I've got about ten minutes. Some believe that the book of life and the Lamb's book of life are two different books. And I'll give you the scripture. We won't turn to them tonight. Revelations 3 3, and Revelations 13 and 8, and verse 15. But some believe there are two different books. The, uh, the book of life and the Lamb's book of life is two different things. And those that believe it believe basically the same thing I just told you. But they say your name is in this one book, book of life. You were born, you lived on earth, you had a life. Your name's in the book of life. But if you don't get saved, your, your name never gets transferred over to the Lamb's book of life. But if you get saved, your name's transferred from the book of life, not only physical life, but now you got saved so you got eternal life, so your name's moved over 
into the Lamb's book of life. Now, there's a lot of you know different arguments both ways, but I told Bill, I've read it all, I've studied it all, and all of them, not any of them, that doesn't leave some question in some scripture, some passage, somewhere. But what I said answers more questions than any of them. And I believe, uh, it doesn't matter if you believe two books or one book, it's the same principle. I believe that if when you're born, your name's in that book. You know why the Lord told Lazarus his name, Luke 16? That's not a parable. Because in a parable, the Lord never gives specific names. And in Luke 16, he said there was a man named Lazarus. But he never did tell you the rich man's name. Some say it's because there was some family standing around there and he didn't want to hurt their feelings. Well, maybe. But more than likely, Matthew 7, verse 21. What does it say? Uh, uh, Matthew 7 and verse uh, 21. I can't think of it right now. Let's read it. Oh, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name done many wonderful works. And the Lord say, Depart from me. I never knew you. Never knew you. He never knew them as a child of God when they lived down here. And now he'll never know them because their name's blotted out. A lot of places in the Bible it talks about the memory of the wicked being forgotten. So all that being said, we should rejoice. If you're saved tonight and know it, you should rejoice because your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. You should rejoice because when you die and you go to stand before the Lord, I don't know if he'll have it in alphabetical order. If he does, he'll start at the Z's because he said the last be first. Uh, Brother Ziegler's name was uh, Ziegler. And he said, Brother Prophet, I'd be so glad to get to heaven. I said, why? He said, I've been last in everything down here. I was last in school. I was last at work. I joined the army and I was last there. And he said, but when I get to heaven, the last is going to be first. And so I don't know how the Lord will do it. But if your name starts with a B, he'll go right down that line. Say, yep, there it is. Enter thou into the joys of the Lord. So that's why there's so much emphasis on That's why Jesus said in Matthew 10, Don't rejoice because the devils are subject unto my name. But he said rejoice because your name is written down in the Lamb's book of life. All right, lastly, uh, he tells them again what he tells all of them. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. The fact the Lord... And every letter has to encourage this, tells us one thing. Most of us ain't listening. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit of God is saying to the world. No, sir. Lord, don't do much talking to the world. He said, He that hath the Spirit, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Whatever God's got to say, He'll say it through the church. You don't have to worry about the world ever 
if you if you do, and it could very well happen because of some Matthew 24 and other places, it said if, if they say he's out in the desert, don't go. In other words, if Fox News comes on tonight and says Jesus Christ is out in the desert, don't you go because the Lord ain't going to say it through Fox News. He's going to say it through the church. And again, I'll say this quickly. I'm not going to go all the scriptures because y'all ought to know as much as I give it to you. But John, John is a type of the church. That's why Jesus said, He said, uh, I'm going to let him tarry till I come, like us. Uh, John's a type of the church. He loved the cross. He's standing right next to the cross. Uh, John's a, a, a type of the church. He's right near Jesus. He's leaning on Him. He's right near the heart of God. And John's a type of the church because in Revelation chapter 4, John gets caught up and that's what's going to happen to the church. But here's my point. When they were at the Lord's Supper and they're all sitting around there, Judas and the rest of them, and they're all leaning on one another because the way they eat, they sit down, cross their legs and down on the floor. And they all begin to whisper and ask the other one, who's going to betray him? Who's going to betray him? And they pass that all the way around till they get to John. Because John's the closest one to him. The point is, if the Lord's got anything to say, He's going to say it to His church. And secondly, He's going to say it to those that are closest to Him. You see, my wife might say something to me right now, but I'm not close to her. But Mary's right there by her, and Remy, they'd hear what she said. We could be saved and in the church and still not hear what the Lord's saying to us because we're walking so far away from Him. That's why we want to maintain a close fellowship and a walk with the Lord in these days so we can hear Him real good. Amen. Lord, I thank You tonight for the Word of God and thank You for 